everybody, and welcome to That's Life, the show where we should be busy baking and cooking, but we're not. Semi in denial about that. Good afternoon, folks, and thanks for listening. I am Miriam L. Wallach, blogger, writer, and general manager here at the Nachum Siegel Network. You can find me here every Thursday at 2 p.m. as I hope to bring you a little entertainment, a little news, and a little relief that the life you are leading is still not as wacky as mine. Coming to you from the home of the Nachum Siegel Network. You can check that out by just looking at our door here on the beautiful Lower East Side. I'm joined today by my handsy-dandy partner. Hello, Avrami. Hello, everyone. How are you? Thank God. Doing well. Hungry. Yeah. <laughs> I offered to get you something. Why? By the way, you didn't notice or comment on the fact that the studio is looking mighty, mighty clean. It is. It is very clean. I came in last week, and the garbage can was nowhere to be found. <laughs> All the food and utensils were gone. <laughs> Yes, you know why? I had to look under the thing over there to get some garlic tam-tams, <laughs> and me and Yossi were starving, but we made it through. <laughs> I couldn't find them this week. Uh-huh. Do you want to know why? Because we have more people coming in nowadays? That, and because the person who's in charge of keeping this place clean wears a skirt, and this was not working for me. So one of my first acts here in the studio was to actually clean it, and I didn't get rid of the garbage. I just moved it into an appropriate place. Why does everyone right. have to walk into the studio and see a garbage pail often overflowing? I might add. Yes, of course. Uh-huh. Right, because you're not taking it out. No. I'm at the... There is a studio manager. <laughs> yes. So I'm not... Who is an excellent, wonderful person and does a ton of good things. Amen. 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 And he should have continued bracha v'hatzlacha in the coming exactly. year. <laughs> but he doesn't take out the garbage regularly. And so I took care of it. Well, meanwhile, this place looked... I mean, I was cleaning furiously. Do you notice that there are cleaning products here now? No. Uh-huh, because I hid them. They're now in a space. I did notice it was clean. I did. I came in and I thought, oh, the uh, the chief of staff is here in town. Nope. Because that usually I. that usually <laughs> instills enough fear to get the place clean. I know. I <laughs> I already told the chief of staff that this place looks like Erev Pesach. Forget Erev Rosh Hashanah. But I was going through this place with a fine-tooth comb, literally putting everything away, and Nahum looks at me, and I said to him, if I didn't know better, I think I was nesting. But um, there's no announcement to be made like that on the Nachum Siegel Network. Where is the Where is the cutlery? I, I needed a spoon to stir my coffee. I had to use chopsticks <sighs> last week. It's in the top drawer of the desk. Okay. No, this is not the desk. The desk is in the other room. Okay. Uh-huh. So I'm just saying... You know what else is sometimes in those drawers? <laughs> those drawers are otherwise clean and uninhabited. So we are going to leave them the way it is. My next move, by the way, is to go through all of those drawers and decide what needs to be kept and what does not. I want to be here with a video camera when you do that. <laughs> you should have seen the bags that I schlepped out of here. These big black garbage bags. I mean, it was really a sight to behold. It was, but how good does this place look? Very nice. Yes, thank you very much. So I appreciate the fact that I had to get on the air and prompt you to say, gosh, this place looks good. Say well, it. you know, it's... I know, you were a guy. I appreciated it last week when I came in. And did I see you last week? I don't remember. No, I was with Stan. Oh, so there you go. Do you notice, by the way, that there are no crumbs right now on the board? Yeah, because I didn't eat anything That's today. That's <laughs> right. <laughs> and let's keep that up, by the way. Gonna... You know we sell this place for Pesach, just for that reason. <laughs> I, <know>. <laughs> <laughs> I actually do know that was one of the first questions I asked Nahum. Do you sell this place for Pesach? Yeah, we like, don't come yeah. in on Pesach, so we didn't ever have to worry about crumbs before. Right. Well, I'm going to buy you a tablecloth that you can lay over the board. And then bring some food to cover the tablecloth. Yes, exactly. It just as long as there are no crumbs all over the place. Anyway, for those of you who are going to join us at some point or another in the studio, no, it's clean now. That's the way it goes. And I just put up new pictures on the wall of uh, from our network launch. Uh, from, not in here, in the other room. Oh, well, those of you who have never been here, 
to you, the whole thing is new. Right. You know, I refer to this place as the uh, Jewish Radio Smithsonian. No, I didn't know that. Yep. It is the Jewish Radio Smithsonian. And by the way, there's a lovely new picture of Mark Zomick from the launch on the wall. You see it? I do. Yeah. that's, that's He's looking very well. He's, Mark's the man. Mark is the man. I'm a huge Mark Zomick fan. Anyway, let's get back to work here. If you are a new listener to the show, thank you for taking a break from your day to tune in. And if you're a returning listener, thanks as always for making us part of your day. If Miriam L. Wallach once a week is just not enough for you, do what Avrami does, but he doesn't tell anyone. Visit me on my blog at DearThat'sLife.com. He's like, I don't tell anyone because I don't do it. Friend me on Facebook. I have visited it once or twice. <laughs> I have. This is like true confessions on That's Life. Oy vey. Anyway, visit me on my blog at DearThat'sLife.com. You can email me at Miriam at DearThat'sLife.com or... Miriam at NahumSiegel.com. I will not respond to you during the show. Bli Nedar, I will respond to you afterwards. You can tell, by the way, we're on Elul because I've been writing and saying Bli Nedar all over the place. Wouldn't want to make a mistake like that during Elul. Anyway, let's go to our favorite segment. You heard it. It's time for the fortune cookie. Oh, I just smushed that one to smithereens. All right. Here we go. Ooh. Oh, for a girl who just made a whole thing about this place being clean, I can't get any of the crumbs out. Oh, hello. Okay. Good writing is clear thinking made visible. Oh, okay. All right. That's that's nice. Either that or, you know, you just have good penmanship. But that's okay because I'll take that as a positive thing. Uh, let's take care of some business. It is International Chocolate Day. Avram, I would like a little more excitement than that. I had chocolate chip cookies earlier. All right. Are there crumbs? I'm not going to tell you. Oh, <laughs> for the love of Pete. Okay. It is International Chocolate Day. Certainly a day worth celebrating and mentioning. I'd like to thank the entire Siegel family for my birthday gift. It was some of the best kosher chocolate money can buy it was absolutely amazing uh but it did nothing for my waistline that is the truth and i was probably ultimately being punished because when nahum gave me the bag and i stopped jumping for joy my first response was is there anyone on this planet i like enough to share these chocolates with so no the answer was no and i love my husband and i love my family but no we're not sharing the chocolates so then ultimately what happened i ate them all so i got my own punishment yes the scale was not pretty, but it serves me right. Anyway, it is also Kids Take Over the Kitchen Day. And Erev Yontif, I'm all for that. It's almost as good as spouses should take over the kitchen day. And whether you're the cook in the house, whether you're the husband or the wife, we recommend you pass the ladle to somebody else tonight. Give it over. Have a night off. Because Erev Yontif, the last thing I want to do is be the only one cooking. And finally, it is National Celiac Awareness Day. So if you're not aware of what celiac disease is, Check it out online, and then guess what? You will be aware and will have fulfilled your responsibility for Celiac Disease Awareness Day. Anyway, check out my blog, especially tomorrow. Funny things happen all the time. Crazy follows me everywhere. And I would like to tell you about something we talked about last week on the air, which was that uh, for my birthday and for Daniel Gordon's birthday and a number of other people, but specifically for our birthdays, um, Daniel had organized the 9-9 birthday bash team for the Susan G. Komen race for the cure in Central Park, which we did on Sunday. It was a 5K. A bunch of people turned out. Daniel raised, I think, close, and I give Daniel credit because for as much as my name was on there also, Daniel really did all the hard work, and it was his brainchild. Um, I think he raised close to $5,000, which is really incredible for a project he just started two weeks ago. Um, I thank everyone for their generosity, and it was really an incredible experience. For anyone who has not done it, I highly encourage you to do it or to take part in an event like that. There were thousands and thousands of people there, plenty of people who had done, who were doing different things. 
plenty of people who were there for different reasons. And you were able to fill out when you got your registration, you got your bib with your number on it. You were able to fill out a pink piece of paper that said in celebration of. And then there was another one that said in memory of so that people would know who you were racing for, either running or walking, who you were involved in this activity for, in this event for. So I walked, I ran um, with a bunch of different people, and one of the people in the group actually ran for his wife, uh, who is a breast cancer survivor. And so he put her name down on the pink piece of paper, and it said her name, and it said, I love you on it. And then he, um, somebody safety pinned it to his back, and then I ran for a family member of mine who was also um, a breast cancer survivor, and so I was able to... Um, pin that on me as well. And then I sent it to her along with my bib for that day and a note telling her that I loved her. And that is the truth. Um, but very, ex- and, and I should say also that Daniel's wife, Aviva, made us both happy birthday signs that we wore as we ran or walk. Uh, Daniel had walked and I ran and I had this, this uh, sign flapping in my face the whole time, which was fine because a number of people that I do not know were able to wish me a happy birthday, which was really nice. But even more exciting than all of this, um, and I have to say it was really a very meaningful way to start my birthday. It was really, it felt good to do something proactive and exciting and something that that represents me being part of something much bigger than myself. Um, Daniel went to the Jet game that afternoon. And for those of you who follow football, um, you will know that the Jets had a massive win on Sunday. It was a complete blowout. I think they won something by like by 20 or something. Anyway, Daniel, who is a rabid Jet fan, and I do mean that sincerely, including the golf bag he has that has Jets all over it and the magnet on the back of his car, um, Daniel wore his breast cancer run t-shirt that we had all received as participants that morning. And he wore that to the Jet game. And he told me that, I mean, besides the fact that Daniel usually comes dressed up in all his paraphernalia when he goes to MetLife Stadium to watch the Jets, he instead wore this shirt and he could not get over how many people stopped him and thanked him for participating in the race um, because they had a family member who was also touched by breast cancer. So just for the record, I just want to say that um, I want to give a Hakara Satov to Daniel for getting me involved in this in the first place. And um, to encourage everyone that, please, God, when we do this next year, and we'd like to make it an annual event, when we do this next year, we're going to um, expand it and ask other people to be involved and to join in, etc. And um, I hope you will join us because, again, it is a very good way to spend your day. Anyway, you are listening to That's Live. That's life. Rami's <laughs> like, what is with you? I actually had too much coffee today. You are listening to That's Life on the Nahum Siegel Network here on the Lower East Side. And I am joined by my first guest who I'm actually, where are your, where are your, where's your headset? Do you have a headset? You are listening to That's Life on the Nahum Siegel stream. I am Miriam L. Wallach, joined by my first guest, Dr. Ellie Lassen, is the executive director of JobLink of Maryland, an organization dedicated to further the employment objectives of members of the Baltimore Jewish community. Joblink provides services such as career and life coaching, interview prep, and resume interviews. He founded the Jewish Community Job Placement Consortium of organizations across North America that are involved in... <laughs> I'm not laughing at you, Ellie. I'm laughing at Avrami, who is cleaning himself up from the uh, ear pads that seem to shed. But anyway, um, Ellie founded the Jewish Community Job Placement Consortium of organizations across North America that are involved in similar endeavors. You have to stop. 
He presents workshops on the job search and blogs on in, on in employment topics and trends. In 2010, Ellie was appointed by the governor of Maryland to the state's Workforce Investment Board, which formulates recommendations on workforce policy. Hello, Ellie Lassen. Nice to be here, Miriam. I have to say, by the way, which is not part of your bio, and I do not understand why, is that you are also the father of the fearless intern, yeah, L. Lassen. So that, besides this bio being really nice and everything, that really gives you street cred. Try not to helicopter. <laughs> oh, I just, you know, it's funny that you just say that, and that's apropos of where I was a couple nights ago, but I went to um, back-to-school night for my nursery-aged child, and while I have been there five other times, God blessed me, thank God, um, but while I have been there a bunch of other times, she, the, the director of the program asked parents not to be helicopters and rather to be like helium balloons, to hover overhead, but to know when to float away. And very ironically, there was one mom in the audience, in a very packed room, one mom in the audience, who was notorious for not only being a helicopter, more like being, uh, I, I don't know, like silly putty. She just sticks and just like, it's unbelievable. Anyway, she turned around to somebody and said, I've never heard that term before. And I'm saying to myself, no joke. But I think that not being a helicopter parent also very much leads into what you do. I think that it's important that parents are involved. Uh, the extent to which they're involved really depends on the situation. Uh, they can definitely assist their kids in networking right. and hopefully giving them guidance educationally. Uh, but when it comes to once the child is in school or on the job, then I think the parent need to, needs to pull back. And that's, by the way, how I came to Yael, is, which was one of the greatest shidduchim, if you ask me, that you ever made. And I don't know about the other ones, but I can say this one is great. Is that you were the one who suggested in here in having heard that my intern, my former intern, Rebecca Rubin, was leaving, um, that you recommended Yael to me. And what a shidduch it has been. She is absolutely fantastic. Thank you. We're very proud of her. And the truth is, is that a lot of what I do professionally is a matter of timing is a matter of assessing what the needs of the employer are and trying to make the appropriate match. Uh, we have many people that come into our office uh, on the, uh, shall we say, the supply side of the labor force, and we have to figure out the best place to uh, refer them to. And uh, it's a matter of intuition, experience, and, uh, and finding the right fit. I know that people listening are going to say to me, what, she's doing another segment on unemployment? And they, she just had on, uh, you know, Sterling Rosner from the OU Job Board, and she just had on Willie Hockman from Joel Paul. So my, my point would be that um, not only does Ellie offer his own perspective, but more than that, we're going to talk about unemployment nationally. We're not as much going to talk about, um, though we will discuss it because it needs to be discussed. Again, tips that people can, can receive, can get, about how to gain employment. Um, but something that I would love to to mention is that um, I know you had seen the, the clip I did on Fox about older um, about older employees being hired, members of the workforce who would otherwise, let's say, be in their later, I don't want to say later years because that's really, you know, somewhat of a statement, but not the spry out of college 20-year-olds who are now in their 50s, et cetera, and either unemployed and looking for new employment or coming back into the workforce, somebody just told me that he hired a secretary. He works, he's a partner at a firm, and he recently hired a secretary who was well into her 60s. He said, and I have to tell you, she looks like she's in her 80s, but 
we interviewed a lot of right out of college, people with great computer skills and very this and very that. He said, but at the end of the day, we wanted somebody seasoned. We wanted somebody we didn't really have to train in terms of their professionalism, in terms of their commitment, and in terms of knowing exactly what we were going to need of them before being told. And I thought that that was a very telling statement. I think for certain positions, Miriam, that that, that is the case. Uh, when it comes to administrative and clerical, uh, I think that people who have shown a track record of responsibility uh, are, are in demand. There's a certain social maturity, a certain professional maturity that they bring to the table. You mentioned Srili Rosner. Uh, right before uh, this, uh, this segment, I came from a meeting of the Jewish, placement job placement, Jewish Community Job Placement Consortium. Uh, we actually had a national conference call, and we had about 15 people from the New York area. And that seems to be a uh, trend, a common trend among all of the organizations. Mm. And those are the people who are 45 to 60. And... Those are people that still have years to give in, in the labor force, and there is some ageism that, that, that is uh, out there. And I don't think that there are any easy answers uh, for that, especially when people in that generation generally do not find themselves on top of the technology curve. Right. And we're looking for answers. Uh, we, that's one of the reasons why we got together, to kind of share information I think networking is still something that applies to all age groups, including those individuals uh, in that uh, demographic, and volunteering. Volunteering for nonprofit organizations, I, I think, uh, can help people get keep busy and maintain a certain psychological momentum mm -hmm. uh, in, in the workforce. Uh, and that's also something to put on a resume. That is something to put on a resume. It's a very interesting. Uh, 60 Minutes just reran a segment of a program that they have in Connecticut, which essentially is a public and private sector partnership that takes people who have been downsized and are in that demographic and has created this program where they get paid as interns to uh, work in a company, but the company doesn't pay them. So there's a grant and there's funding that goes into paying them as interns. And huh. it's, it's more or less a probationary or trial period. Okay. And if it works out, then the company picks them up. Wow. So it's really an opportunity for these individuals in this area of Connecticut to uh, kind of try out for the position. And if they can prove their value, then they get, they get picked up. Is that a pilot program? Is that being tested in, in just in Connecticut and then looking to be picked up by other places? Or it's just really unique? I think it, it, it is unique, and the, the, the challenge is funding, because somebody's got to fund it to make it enticing to the organizations to bring those people, to bring those people in. So, and it has to be something that will pay the, pay the individuals who have maybe uh, uh, used up all their unemployment. So it, it, it's, a, it's a partnership between public sector and private sector. Uh, it is a unique program, but I would hope that it can be co-opted elsewhere. What about um, your addressing a MetLife Council group the other night? Um, tell everybody what that was about and tell everybody what, um, what major points you hit on with the group. Actually, the, uh, I should mention that one of the ways that I uh, connected with, uh, with Willie and the Met Council was after hearing him on your show. Aww. And I didn't realize that they were so much involved in the employment uh, field. So, I don't think I realized it, by the way, till that show either, when I had him on. I mean, it, it actually shocks me 
and continues to impress me just how many um, services the MetLife Council really provides. But anyway, I'm sorry to interrupt. So anytime I hear of someone who's involved in the employment endeavor, especially within the Jewish community, uh, we always look for a collaboration because the way I see it, it's a matter of give and take, and there's always something to, uh, to take away from other organizations. But in the spirit of giving, I offered as a volunteer to do whatever uh, they feel would be, uh, they felt would be helpful. So they actually had this uh, program on Tuesday night with... Uh, a designer who was donating uh, business attire for women nice. as a way to get them up to snuff appearance-wise into the work into the workplace. Uh, so the program was not just about handing out clothing; it was about a workshop on interview preparation because in addition to appearance, obviously one has to prepare uh, mentally uh, for the interview and make sure that everything is uh, in line to be successful. So we talk about nonverbal communication during the interview. There are better ways of asking the, uh, of answering questions. Uh, so we have some strategies to help them, uh, to help them respond to questions. So it's really a combination of dressing for success, but also presenting oneself in the interview. I think that, um, that, First of all, the, the generosity of your time and your expertise and being able to talk to a group of individuals who otherwise would not have that opportunity. And then on the flip side, having this designer, you know, donate her wares in order to, again, outfit a group of women who are really trying to get back out there is such a, a, a great concept, but also shows a tremendous generosity of spirit. And it's, you know, I guess maybe it's 9-11 week. Maybe that's what's making me feel a little something. But um or just because it's Erev Yontif. I, I Whatever it is, I just think that there's this, um, there's almost like a renewed spirit that, that moments like these give to me in which there's a lot of cynicism out there. There's a lot of, I need to make sure that I'm in the best position possible, not necessarily keeping track of other people around me. And I think acts like these are, are, are so wonderful because, again, they just bring back this renewed kinship or they create a renewed kinship or this Kol Yisrael Arivim Zelazeh, even if the people who are sitting who were sitting that night um, with you are not necessarily Jewish. But nevertheless, we, we are one world and I, I think that that's great. Yeah, the crowd was about fifty percent Jewish, fifty percent other right. and Met Council Met Council serves the New York community and does not, you know, check your uh, references, so to speak. You don't have to come in with your uh, shidduch resume when you show up there. That's correct. Right. And, and I think that in a time when employment is such a challenge, it's right. certainly a challenge in the Orthodox community in terms of the affordability of life, but really it's a challenge nationwide. And there may be something that I could say, some things that I've done in prior workshops. Maybe there's something that I can say. Maybe there's a suggestion. Maybe there's a, a point that I can suggest on link, LinkedIn mm -hmm. uh, that might make the difference. And I can't tell you how many people have told me uh, after the fact that it was something that I said or suggested to them that made the difference in a successful interview uh, or a successful job placement. So it's a matter of doing your hishtadlut or right. whatever, whatever, whatever you want to call it and hopefully good things will happen. But we're all in it together, and we all have to help one another. Is there um, a benefit to somebody doing, let's say, a role-play interview process in which they literally get in that suit that they were given the other night, so to speak, 
and then show up with you sitting behind the desk and really going through, let's say, a half an hour job interview where, again, it's just staged. It's not for a real job, but at least they're going through it. Is there a benefit to something like that? Absolutely, Miriam. Unfortunately, we don't have the opportunity when we see people in the office uh, to do that for an extended period of time because we only have a limited time uh, to spend with them in the office. But certainly a dress rehearsal of one's elevator speech. Mm, right. Uh, we know the importance of an elevator speech. I always preach that. And also responding to questions. Uh, it's, it's really important to have a, a live dress rehearsal. Uh, interesting. There's... Um there has to be a lot to your your PhD and your BA, both in psychology, that plays into um, your your area of expertise at this point. Well, when you look at the employment statistics, uh, 8.1% unemployment nationally in the New York area, the tri-state area, it's higher. You think about it from that perspective, those are just numbers. But people who come into the office... They are a father, they are a mother, they are a parent, they are paying tuition, they're trying to pay the mortgage, yeah. uh, they're trying to keep a marriage together. There is a lot of psychology in that, uh, in, in, approaching those, uh, uh, in, in approaching those situations. And everybody gets their own specialized session, certainly if there are areas of expertise that I need to draw on from other resources, I will refer them out. But uh, we do a lot of life coaching as well. I'm sure. Is there, is the, are the unemployment numbers within the Orthodox community different from those nationally? I don't think that they're collected. Uh, in terms of data collection, I, I have not seen any breakdown of, uh, of numbers by Orthodox. I wonder if um, one could look at, well, I don't even know that schools would release this kind of information, but how many schools in, in, in terms of the tuition assistance that they give out how much uh, that budget, their budget for that has increased over the last, let's say, five years? i got to believe that it's increased uh, exponentially. Well, how many, um, what is the craziest story, I should say, out of, out of all the many people you have seen, what is the craziest story about somebody coming back into the job, into the job world, so to speak, after being out? Crazy? Or shocking, I should say. Like, you know, if uh, my grandmother, well, obviously she's, She's passed a long time ago, so that would be a crazy story if she showed up at your uh, at your office. But somebody who has been out of the out of out of the workforce for a while and all of a sudden has, in their later years, when you would theoretically be retiring and doing whatever, all of a sudden now is looking at statements and IRAs and saying, "I can't do this anymore. I got to go back." I don't know if I would call the stories crazy, but when you have a 74-year-old dentist who is retired and wants to come back into the workforce because his 401k has now become a 201k, uh, it, is a, it is a real situation. Uh, and we have, uh, we have a few clients like that who need to maintain uh, traction in the workforce even after what has traditionally become their retirement. Uh, sometimes they are alone and they don't have any other source of support on fixed income, and uh, we, we do get people who are uh, in that demographic as well. I actually asked Yael last week what some of the uh, what some of her fellow students have been talking about in terms of the big issues weighing on them as they you know finish their last year or coming across with their um, you know closing their education or coming to the end of their studies of their BA and uh, and she said that. Part of it, if not the biggest issue, was finding a job when they were done. What do a job? What do employment prospects look like for the younger members of the workforce? 
Well, I think they, in, in a sense, they are a little bit better because of the technology. Uh, you mentioned uh, you mentioned Yale, and Yeshiva University really has a great career development center. Uh, in fact, uh, somebody from the career development center was at the meeting uh, this week, uh, and it, uh, it's, it does some really great work, and they ha- have about a 94% success rate as far as, as, far as placing, uh, wow. placing their graduates. So that's really at the top of, of all colleges and universities. So they have a lot to be proud for. And you just happen to be wearing a YU tie, are you not? I do. I, <laughs> L gave it to me from one of the... Uh, Shameless plug. <laughs> one, of, one of the CJF events. I'm happy for it. It actually matches I was about my to shirt say, it actually look, And it was funny because well. I'm looking at the tie going, oh, it looks really good with the shirt. And then I'm like, wait a minute, what are those? And then I realized what I it was. I have it in blue as well. <laughs> I have scarves, by the way. It's fine. Uh, but anyway, you were saying. Yeah, the the employment uh, outlook for, for, for young people, uh, we, we were talking at, at the meeting of the consortium of the need to really have internships as a way to transition into the workforce. Sometimes those internships are uh, paid, but very often they are unpaid. And I think that students who are coming out into the workforce have to be open to that possibility of taking an unpaid internship to get traction in a particular company so that maybe they will be hired uh, at some point later later on. So uh, internships, I think, are very important for college students. And, w- and how does social media play into the job search? Social media is huge. In fact, we have an entire workshop on social media, some of which is even beyond my area of expertise. Uh, LinkedIn is something that I am a very big believer in. People cannot plug it enough, and I'm not saying it to be funny, but it really it is incredibly effective. It's incredibly effective in making individual connections, but also it puts you into a context with a group. And if you are a member of a specific niche group, uh, you can post your situation and say, I'm looking for an internship. I'm looking for uh, a job. This is my skill set. And if you can put it in a succinct way, then it does get people that are looking at it. Uh, maintaining a blog uh, is, is, is part of social media. And that can some, if it's a quality blog, then you can put that onto your resume, the link, uh, and hopefully get some people looking at you. You know, that's actually funny because that's not something I ever did. But you're listening to That's Life on the Nachum Siegel Network. I am Miriam L. Wallach. Here on the Lower East Side, joined by Dr. Ellie Lassen, we are talking about unemployment and hopefully future employment. Do you see uh, Do you see an upswing in the trends of in terms of employment? Are we looking for the overall national employment percentage to continue going down? Do you think it's going to stay stable for a little bit? I'm not a prophet. I know, because otherwise we'd be in Vegas doing other things. But for this matter... What I can say is there are certain industries that are seeing a little bit of an upswing. Accounting and finance uh, is uh, increasing in terms of hiring. Uh, IT and engineering are all very strong right Mm -hmm. now, but there are few people to fill those positions. Law is very depressed right now, and I'm working with about a dozen people who have not really found their first job even after graduating law school two years ago. Wow. And, which is a shame because of all a, the investment that's that's put into it. That is a scary, you know, it's it, it's not funny because Shirley Rosner had said something similar. And then after his after that show aired, somebody emailed me and said that he had actually done his own research and found that those number that that um, Shirley's assessment was not correct. But you're substantiating what Shirley had said and said, yeah, that if you're going to law school right now and you're looking for a job when you come out of it, it's going to be hard. The legal recruiters in the firms are looking for high GPAs from top law schools, and there are not that many people out there 
you know, the, the, statistically, right. that's not going to be a large number of people. And there are people that are fine, sharp individuals who did well in law school. But if they didn't go to a top five law school, then that might put them at a disadvantage. So if you go to law school and you didn't get a 3-9 and you're graduating and you went to St. John's instead of going to Harvard, what do you do now? Well, I, I think that the skill set and competencies that one gets in law school, whether it's the writing or analytical thinking uh, or business acumen, I think can be transportable skills. And I'm a very big believer in transportable skills. And if somehow those skills can be leveraged, whether it's nonprofit management uh, or even if somebody's not working for a law firm, sometimes there are in-house positions in smaller companies where you could do the legal work uh, that, that, might be, that might be available to uh, those individuals. We actually only have a couple of minutes left, um, but I definitely wanted to, um, to touch for a second just upon workplace issues for members of the Orthodox community. Because as somebody said to me once, he would never go work in a place where he had to explain why he had to leave on Fridays at 2. And I said to him, I'm like, you know, I, I totally hear it. Working within the Jewish community, working within the Jewish world, there's obviously a lot to be said about it. But how, if a person is looking to work outside of the Jewish community or wants to keep his or her options open, what is the best way to approach an employer about the restrictions, especially coming this month where we lose every Monday and Tuesday? What is the best way for an employee to approach to approach an employer about, you know, our religious restrictions? Well, let me answer it in two ways quickly. And that is, it's interesting you bring up the question of the, uh, of, of the Hagim coming up. And I had that same, very same question of somebody who was looking to get into a job who was made an offer uh, to start sometime in September. And it was a similar type of calendar mm-hmm. situation. And my suggestion was... Start in October? Well, that essentially was to give that option to the employer. Yes, that's correct. That's right. what I said. And say to the employer, look, I have these holidays. I know that the... Uh, workload needs to get done. Right. I don't want to compromise that. I could start now, and but I will have to take off, or I could just defer it and start it at a later at a later time. But when it comes to the more regular calendar issues of Shabbos, I think you have to kind of plan ahead. I wouldn't bring it up in the initial interview. I I perhaps wouldn't even bring it up until the job offer itself. But w- the way I, pr- I I approach it, give and take. Don't say to make up, you'll make up the work after the fact. Make or, it up or I'll wait, make it up on the weekend because the weekend things might not be going on in the office. Uh, so my suggestion is say to the employer, look, I have this early candle lighting or early sunset coming up uh, when the time changes, when the clock changes. This is what my plan is. I'm going to work Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday until 8 o'clock, and I will be proactively looking at what assignments need to be done so that I will not be compromising any of my responsibilities of my deliverables. And that's the way I would approach it. But it's a matter of give and then ask for something in return. And you wouldn't bring it up at the initial interview? Don't you think it's like a first date? Like you just got to get certain things out there? You don't want to wait till the ring before you tell them, by the way, I have this, you know, strange habit. I've heard differences of opinion with that. But I think that the perspective that one should have going into the very first first interview is to prove yourself. Hmm. I think that that could be a distraction. I think one has to show their competencies, their skill sets, their experience that they bring to the table. Uh, that's first and foremost, and leave the 
religious stuff until later in the process. All right. Dr. Lassen, Ellie Lassen, thank you very much for joining me. You can reach Dr. Lassen at... Well, my phone number, 410-602-8700, or elasson, E-L-A-S-S-O-N, at joblinkemployment.org. There we go. Thank you very much for joining me. You're listening to That's Life on the Nachum Siegel Stream. I am Miriam L. Wallach. I'll joined by my second guest. He has not been here in a while, and we have missed him, but I'm happy he is here during Elul to continue our Teachable Moments segment. Dr. Scott Goldberg, as we call him around here now, just Scott. That's great. I've missed you so much, Miriam. <laughs> He's the inaugural director of the Institute for University School Partnership at Yeshiva University. I could go through all of his accolades and his entire resume, and but uh, probably just said we don't have time. And plus, our listeners know him as Scott. Anyway, Scott, thank you for joining me. Pleasure. I really. appreciate. I very much appreciate you being here, and I'm happy that you are looking and sounding better than you did last week. Baruch Hashem. Baruch Hashem. <laughs> so with El, with El, a full swing in El and with Rosh Hashanah upon us, the most teachable moment that we are obviously going to make for our kids is Monday. We are here Monday. We are here Tuesday, sitting in our yuntif clothes, being in shul, listening to shofar blowing. And I think that when we talk about children and tshuva, the most important question that I could ask, or the first question I could ask, is how do you get kids to repent? Well, I think the key is understanding what tshuva is. And then we might be able to get kids to do it. Well, if you could teach me what tshuva is, then uh, maybe I could be able to teach my kids. Well, um, classic understanding, hate is sin. If hate is sin, so tshuva is repentance for that sin, you know, having to do with penalty and punishment. And I think actually um, the root of hate is not sin. It's actually mistake. It's actually error. In which case, tshuva is not an issue of repenting for a sin, uh, but it's in fact, uh, if you will, a do-over. Okay. Uh, it's, uh, it's, it's a second chance. And uh, with that in mind, that, that's easy to teach kids. All right, I still remember when I was growing up, we used to play on our front lawn uh, a baseball game with tennis rackets because, you know, you can hit the ball right. much further with a tennis racket <laughs> than a baseball bat. And we used to play with, uh, you know, cross the street was a grand slam right. and, you know, into the street was a home run. And, and, and you know what happened if it hit the telephone wires? It was a do-over. Right. And I think that that's the key. The key is understanding that this is not about, you know, uh, lightning coming down from heaven and you're going to burn in hell unless you repent, right. you know, that, uh, you know, but it's right. really about mistakes happen. We all make mistakes. In fact, mistakes lead to growth and uh, it's a do-over. And this is an opportunity for everyone, adults, children, and everything in between to have a do-over. I've, I've said before on the air that dieting is like religion. You can always come back. And I think that with um, when, it, when you look at kids and when you teach them that, that not every, there aren't always do-overs. Not every situation can be taken back and not every situation can be erased. But when it comes to our relationship with God, he is incredibly forgiving. And while human beings hold grudges, God forgives. I think that that's, that that's true. Unfortunately, we tend to introduce God to our children as the God of no. Right. We've talked about this right. before. Absolutely. Um, that instead of being a God of, yes, I want to have a relationship with you, and yes, I understand that that relationship sometimes comes along with baggage, right. as every one of our relationships <laughs> does because we're Jews, um, <laughs> you know, the reality is God knows. God knows our baggage, right. and, uh, and he's a God of yes. He's not a God of no. And God loves us with all of our faults, with all of our imperfections, and with all the mistakes that we made, and we will make more. 
Hopefully we will not make the mistakes we have made before, but we will make other mistakes. But no matter what, God loves us. I think that there's this very scary, there's there's a very scary feeling. There's a scary notion out there that God can be mad at me, that Hashem is mad at me. And I think that when a child actually, you know, when, when, when you teach a child about tshuva and you teach them about saying, I'm sorry, and that's what davening is, is that, you know, at some point or another, you're saying, well, if I'm saying I'm sorry to Hashem, then maybe Hashem has been mad at me. And that is a concept that we do not want children to internalize. Well, and I think it's, it's, it's true. I mean, I can't speak for God, and right. I certainly can't speak for God about you. But, um, but, uh, <laughs> but I, Wouldn't I, that be a long conversation? Listen, yeah. we don't have enough time for that. I think <laughs> Ask God Rummy. But, um, <laughs> but the, the, the truth is that God um, needs to be introduced to children as a loving God, right. as a God that has entrusted us with his Torah. And these are these are things that that children can relate to. Uh, sometimes, uh, you know, parents don't relate to children in a loving way, mm. and that uh, creates all sorts of issues, as we know. Right. We could have a whole show on that. I was about or, to a say a whole year of shows on that. Right. Um, but that's how children relate to you know to God. You know, viewing God. Uh, you know, Avinu Shabashamayim. The notion of God as a as a father figure, God as a parent figure, um, is something that is really critical. And therefore, the relationship that a parent has, and the way in which a parent interacts with mistakes, mm. um, is going to impact how a child interacts with God around mistakes. I wonder also if a child looks at the parent and say, "Well, if Hashem loves me no matter what, and Hashem doesn't get angry with me or hold a grudge, why do you, i.e., mom or dad?" Not act the same way. Well, you know, not holding a grudge doesn't mean that there isn't punishment or there isn't co- there aren't consequences. Right. We don't unfortunately always recognize something that happens in our life as a consequence to another action. Well, well that's true. We also don't plan for how we can aspire to do better necessarily. That's and, I, true. and I think actually that's true. this actually brings up a very important point concerning chuva and children. Um, you know, sometimes we look at Yom Kippur or from a child's perspective. One can easily look at Yom Kippur, easily look at the Aseris Yemei those 10 days, and say, who are we kidding? Right. You're going to stand there and dive in, you're going to shuckle, and you're going to scream to God on that day. During that week, you're going to keep Chalav Yisrael, and you're going to keep all sorts of stringencies, and you're going you're, you're gonna to be the super Jew. Right? Who are we kidding? After that, after Yom Kippur, next day, Rachum, and we're done. Right, we're done. We're going back to our lashon hara. We're going back to our um, our our missing minion, coming mm-hmm. late, talking. So a kid looks at this and says, "Who are we kidding? Why are we, we're being disingenuous?" And the reality is that we're not being disingenuous at all. We have to understand what that day is, what that week is, what those opportunities that God gives us. And this is teachable to children. What's teachable to children is the understanding that what God is seeing in that day, what God is seeing in that week, is our aspiration for what we can be. We can articulate the person we want to be. A child can articulate who they want to be, how they can do better, how they want to do better. But we know that that aspiration is beyond their reach, beyond their reach perhaps today, perhaps this year. However, on one day, on one day, we can cry out our hearts and we can scream to God and we can dive in better and we can not talk and we can be on time and we can talk to our children and we can give our children an extra smile and extra mm. hug and spend extra time with them. And during that week, we can come home for an extra dinner and be with our family and we can answer a few less emails and be with our family and focused <laughs> on them. And right. we can also go to shul during a series of and we can, we could be the, and we, and we could be nice to people <laughs> and, and, and we could do all the benedam the also because that's showing God I can be for not a whole year, not every day, not 24-7, but I could be for a short period of time who 
I want to be. And who I, when I aspire to that, that's a person that you will want to give another year. That's a person you're going to want in your your am. You want to be a Jew. You want to be part of your life, God, because I can do that for a day. I could do that for a week. It's showing our aspiration. That's something we could teach children. So it's also about realistic expectations, though, for ourselves. And you're looking at Yom Kippur and saying, this is the person I want to be. This is the person I want to aspire to. And even if the other 364, I'm not as good as I am today, at least not only do I have that one day, but I'm taking that feeling with me and saying, I want to aspire to be close to that, the other 364, even if I don't attain it, I'm proud of my working towards it. And I know I can do it because I could do it for that period of time on that day or for those hours on that day or those hours during that Aserius Emei Chuva week. Right. I can do this, God, and I want to show you that I can do it. I can't do it forever. I can't do it every day. I can't do it 24-7, but I can try. It's like the kid who the parent wants to give an ice cream cone to, mm-hmm. and every of the, uh, every one of their siblings is getting an ice cream cone. And this kid's been a pain in the neck all day, not listening, you know, running around, doing whatever they want to do. And the parent, though, wants to, not to exclude this child. So say, if you can sit, Yankel, for the next five minutes right. and just not, you know, keep your hands and feet to yourself, mm. speak nicely, you'll get an ice cream cone. That kid is going to sit on his hands. He's going to put, you know, hands over his mouth and the other hand over his mouth. He's going to make sure he doesn't touch anything. And perfect. He doesn't make it perfect for five right. minutes. And all the other siblings are going to say, what happened? Right? Why is it that for the whole day, Yonko's been a pain in the neck. He's been pulling my hair. He's been doing this and that. How can you give him an ice cream cone, Mom? He says, because he listened. He showed us that he's capable. Right. That's what Yom Kippur is about. That's what Aserah Simei Tshuva is about. That's a concept and an approach to teaching children about what Tshuva is. So then I guess I, that's... That's a great idea. I, I guess it begs, to me, it begs the next question, is that every time my kids would repeat that action for the five minutes, for the six minutes, whatever it is, they would look at me and then say, well, what do I get for that? And then there's something to be said for, you know, kids as they grow up, walking into shul and, you know, learning the davening, learning something. But again, it's a learned response. So we're looking at, at davening, even as an adult. I was great today. What do I get for it? Now, as an adult, I will look at it and say, I get another year on this planet. I get health. I get prosperity. I get a roof over my head. I get I get my family. I get so many different things. But then how do you teach the kid, yes, you were great for five minutes now, and you get to come with us for the ice cream cone. But every time you're, I just knocked into the mic, but every time you are great again, it doesn't mean you're going to get an ice cream cone, but it does mean you've been great no matter what. So this gets the classic uh, discussion of internalizing or ex- externalizing, right. internalizing But with religion, behavior. it gets sticky. Religion, it gets sticky. It's also hard because you don't see the rewards and punishments right away. Right. Um, and parents dole out certain things and it becomes the parents' punishment. Mm. You're late to Minion. You, don't get, you didn't go to Minion. <laughs> you, you didn't put on your film today. Like, or you, you spoke Lush and Horror. You, you weren't nice to your, bro- your brother or sister. Um, so parents tend to dole out some of those, those, those punishments. Uh, you know, I, I don't know that we have the time to go into the details of well, how you... Well, what's the Rami? Of Rami? Do we have time? Oh, my. So we, 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 we need to think... Um, uh, we need to think together as a community how we provide a lot of external reinforcement and the extent to which we can create more internalized uh, motivation for children. Um, we've spoken here before about the notion that we have to have more role models of people who have struggled. Right. We need to have more opportunities where we're speaking about the mistakes that we've made mm. as adults and that we're working on it and that's okay. Um, and that the successes didn't come because I was born successful, but because I worked hard at it. Right. Um, and that 
as Carol Dweck and others would report their research uh, about, um, will lead to more internalized motivation as opposed to re- requiring the external rewards um, and praise uh, by the adults around the child or, the, or children around a, a child. At the same time, we have to recognize um, that external rewards do play a role in some way. In school, grades do motivate. In the home, ice cream motivates. Yeah. Um, or Beyblades in my house. Yeah. Sure. But we, one, one lesson that I think is really critical for children is learning how to self-reward. Huh. Um, my kids know that um, for the last many years, uh, when I have a good workshop or I had a really great day at the office, um, something was successful in a school that we worked with or uh, we were able to you know, cover a budget through raising some money or whatever we might have been able to do, place the head of school in a, in, in a community or something like that, they know that I had a good day. Even if I came home later than they were, and they were already in bed because the next morning in the sink is an empty, unwashed, I'll explain in a second, <laughs> slushy cup. <laughs> because my kids know I love the slushy. Really? I love the slushy. It's That's hard. Hysterical. I, and I, cherry. Seven Eleven. Cherry. Quick check. <laughs> cherry and the Coke, and we've got we've got reward. We've got happiness. We've got happiness. I, I have to say, it doesn't You're a happen. Cheap at, date, by the way. I am a cheap date, yeah. and it doesn't happen very often because I, I I'm tough on myself. Mm. Um, but when it does, it's a celebration in the Goldberg house, and my kids know it. And I don't wash the cup because if they were sleeping, I want them to know. I was about to say they. Want I wash the, the cup seat. when they see it. Right. Kids need to learn how to self-reward. They can't rely on the teacher. They can't rely on the parent. They can't rely on God to give them everything and for them to see it manifested in God you know, clearly. Um, they can't always rely on their peers. They have to rely on themselves to say, I did a good job and give themselves a pat mm. on the back. And sometimes it's going to be a slurpy or a slushy. Sometimes it's going to be, uh, you know, just a pat on the back and a smile and a feel good for a moment before they go out on recess or when they come before they come back from recess because they scored that touchdown. Right. Um, whatever it might be. Kids need to learn both to be able to be critical of themselves and reflect and say, you know what, that wasn't so good. I want to do better next time. This is what I aspire to. Those are conversations with adults. Parents should have those conversations with their children and welcome those conversations. Okay. Kids can't be afraid to talk to their parents about mistakes. Right. They have to be open to discussing it. Um, and at the same time, kids need to have those th- thinking about that themselves. How am I going to, what mistakes did I make, but also what did I do well? And parents can help Children understand that as well. So parents can model for their kids what it means to say, I did this well. Thank you, Hashem. I need to do better in this. You know, and as part of the tshuva, as part of teaching children about tshuva, it's also about us modeling as parents what it means to do tshuva. What it means to do tshuva, what it means to do things well, even if it wasn't about tshuva per se. Also, what it means to make mistakes right. and to model it. You know, How many parents can honestly say they have made a mistake with their children, they thought something that one of the children did and the child wound up not doing it and it was clear as day kid vindicated mm. how many parents have taken that opportunity to say you know um you know shlamey you know sarah I- I- i'm sorry i messed up i messed up right that is that what okay you're passing me notes um no i hear that you know what's interesting about that that um there's a couple i know very very well and he is not a believer in saying he's sorry to his kids because in his house when he was growing up his father never apologized for anything. And so it's a very, I don't know, 1950s kind of model with uh, June in the kitchen and yada, yada, yada. But the wife constantly says, if you make the kid say that you're sorry to, the, to their sibling or to their friend when they do something that's wrong, how can you 
expect them to do it when they when you don't do it yourself? And I and I hear that completely. And something that I personally make a point of doing is I don't not only do I not have um, a, a problem necessarily apologizing to my kids when I do something wrong, but when I mess up and God bless me, when I mess up, I mess up big time. Understandably. Yeah, exactly. Go big or go home. I go, you know, I go big. But there's something to be said about messing up in front of your kids and then picking it up and doing it again. I think that one of the worst shows I had here um, on That's Life since its inception, actually, it is the worst show I've ever done because I was- I'm really sorry about I that. Was, I know it was one of the it. first ones. It, it was really- was Stop. <laughs> My intern, it was the first time I had brought Rebecca Rubin with me to the studio and I was awful. I was absolutely awful. I was the worst I could be. And we walked out of the studio and I was completely shell-shocked. And I said to her, you know what? I'm really happy that you're here because not only am I never going to make those mistakes again, but frankly, as a teacher, as an educator, I'm happy you see me on probably my worst day because we're all going to learn from this. You're right. Um, our alma mater, uh, yep. Bank Street, uh, one of our mm-hmm. co- commonalities. Exactly. Uh, besides losing it sometimes. Um, <laughs> it. I, I clear, clear as day. I remember the class, you know, learning about classroom management, and I was taught many years ago about a game called pull-ups and strokes. No pull-ups and strokes. Okay, yeah. Pull-ups and strokes, great game. When I was a classroom teacher, we used to do it every Friday, and I think parents can do this at the dinner table also. A little bit corny if you have a wide range of kids, including um, you know, middle schoolers and above. But I think it, nonetheless, it, it, it's it, you could do it. So here's the here's the game: pull-ups. Um, pull-ups mean that you get to tell somebody something they did that you didn't like that week. Okay. Something you, they did that they wronged you. And you get to say, you just get to say, listen, Charlie, I- I'm upset that you pulled my hair this week. I- I'm upset that you borrowed a pencil and didn't give it back. Whatever it might be. Right. Small, big, you know, you bullied me in the playground. Uh, it's not okay. I'm really upset about that. Um, whatever the pull-up might be. You're allowed one, you know, uh, everybody can have a pull-up against them. Okay. So you're going around a classroom. Everybody can have a pull-up against them. They can never have more than two pull-ups against them. So you know, no ganging up on Charlie this week, okay. right? So two two times, kid gets pulled up. No one can pull up on that child anymore. Um, go around, and everyone gets gets to pull up on somebody. Okay. okay. What's great about this is that during the week on Tuesday, a child comes up to you and says, "Mommy, mommy, you know, Sarah, you know, took my 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 ball and won't give it back." Okay, so bring it up on Friday, pulls and strokes. Bring it up at Shabbos table, whatever, wherever you wind up doing it. Bring okay. up Thursday night at dinner. Strokes, you can have as many strokes. So you can, someone can be stroked by everybody nice. in a given week. Um, strokes are, I really liked when you, you know, helped me open the door and hel- or help me schlep whatever it is. Okay, if you do it at dinner table, mom and dad can participate. Mm. Um, every every child can participate at the table, and and to me that kind of routinization of, I think this was really great. And I'm really happy that you did this stroke nice. and the pull-ups of teaching children how to articulate when they're upset about something in right. an appropriate way. And what's great about the pull-up is the response. You can really tame the response by saying it's a one-sentence response. You can either say, blow it out your ear. I'm going to do it again next week. Mm. Or you could say, I'm sorry. I'm really sorry. You know what? I, I, I see that I hurt you. I'm really sorry. Right? That routinization of a process of praise, of a process of 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 articulating a mistake or articulating something that's bothering you, and then allowing for someone to apologize in a safe space in a family, um, is a key to teaching about change and improvement. I know that Avrami is giving me the signal that we must go, but I do want to also stress that 
shul is a safe place for kids to make mistakes and to realize that those that they can say they're sorry and that tshuva can be done there. It's not just the safety of their own home where they can admit they did something wrong, but shul is a place for that also. If I can just say one thing about that, it, it, they can be safe places for children to daven. They can be safe places for children to make mistakes, especially if they're leading the tzibor as, mm. and learning as a 13-plus-year-old right. boy to lead the tzibor as a, as a shalich tzibor. But they can also be a place where kids can be shushed and, and, and pulled um, and pushed in every direction because they're making mistakes. And people want it to be pristine. And people want it to be perfect. And instead of allowing a kid to learn how to daven from the Amud or how to daven in a tzibur as a woman or a man or young ma- a man or a woman or a boy or girl, um, we tend to make shul about adults and about adult perfection and, and this, this, this view that do- adults in shul are davening perfectly as opposed to a process whereby everyone has a kihila from young to old are all part of the same kahila, davening together, learning how to make Avodah Hashem better. Spoken like the president of a shul. Dr. Scott Goldberg, I thank you for our for this fantastic installment in Teachable Moments. Children and Tshuva, I, I wish you a Ishanatova uh, Umetuka, as we like to say. To you as well. Thank you for having me. Uh, always a pleasure. You've been listening to That's Life on the Nachum Siegel stream. I am Miriam El Wallach. Thank you very much for making me part of your day. Uh, we have a full afternoon of programming. I definitely want you to stay tuned. Listen right after That's Life because something to talk about with Randy Wartelski continues, uh, I should say, starts right after we finish this show, just in a couple of minutes. Randy tackles a different topic every week. She is absolutely fantastic. I loved being on with her last week. I look forward to listening to her in a few. Also, make sure to to stay logged in, tuned in for the stunt show this week, hosted by Jordan B. Gorfinkel, otherwise known as Gorf. You should definitely listen to that show. It's going to be a lot of fun. And like his Facebook page. The Thursday Night Extravaganza is on from 7 tonight to 9. Tonight, 7 to 9 tonight. Rummy's like, I've had enough of you today. Followed by an encore presentation of the Book of Life with Charlie Harari. And then the day closes with an hour of Jewish soul. Join Nachum tomorrow morning from 6 to 9 a.m. as he hosts JM in the AM live here on the stream at NachumSiegel.com and jmintheam.org or on 91.1 FM. He'll be joined by Malcolm Holmline as he is every Friday for the weekly update. And don't miss Saturday Night Seagull hosted by our one and only Avrami Finkelstein live here at 10 p.m. only on the stream at nachamsegal.com. Also, this is still huge every time I say it, JM in the AM Sunday started last week with Matis Weingast. It was great. Please like his Facebook page as well as that of The Stunt Show and all of the other programs we have on the stream. Let's go. The more more likes we have, the more we feel liked. This show will be rebroadcast Sunday at 1 p.m. on NachumSiegel.com. My thanks to Avrami, my partner in crime here. My thanks to Dr. Ellie Lassen and, as always, to Dr. Scott Goldberg. I leave you today with Aryeh Kunstler's Oset Shalom. I'd like to wish everyone a Shana Tavau Mituka. And here is a tip. If you don't usually go all out with the Simanim over Rosh Hashanah, make an exception and do it this time. Fish heads, palm seeds, dates, the whole nine yards. Don't forget your gourds. It makes for a very lively table and something your kids will remember forever. And as for New Year's traditions or New Year's resolutions, this is a good one to have. That's life, everybody. My personal best wishes to all. Bye, guys. Shallow, bimro, mob.
Call, we are called, you're so